0: did this happen or did it not happen did mark did you eat cereal with whiskey in it instead of milk or i made that up
1: okay. no no that's not made it up that that was we literally had uh matt jones and i were had the munchies at like three o'clock in the morning and we were like oh there's cereal here that's great and then we kind of looked around and it was like no milk and we had some whiskey in our glass and we we're like well you know why not so we just kind of poured it over top the um the whiskey, actually, the cereal nicely absorbed the whiskey, had like a bit of an absorb, you know, absorbed it pretty nicely. Uh, it wasn't a lot, just enough to absorb. And um, I got to say, I think we invented something new. I don't know what the name of it is yet. I We, we need to uh, really focus on the name here. But, um, you know, picture like kind of dry cereal with a little bit of sugar in the cereal, but not too much. And then picture like this, this kind of a little bit of stinging sweetness, spiciness of whiskey. Um, Enveloping that cereal as you eat it. it. It was actually delicious. I don't have cereal at home, but if I did, that's that's what I would be doing right now.
0: I don't know if I trust that.
1: <laughs> Good message for the kids, though.
0: <laughs> whiskey, whiskey, the singer's getting sore. We raise the roof, now when we're lower in the floor. The band is blistering, but we got a little more. When I say one, two, you say three, four, three, one, two, three, four.
1: Welcome to episode 29 of The Whiskey Topic. My name is Mark Bylock, and I am here as always with Jamie Johnson and a little less frequently uh, with Glenford Jameson as well. And um, tonight, uh, today we're going to discuss our trip to Kentucky. We're going to review a bunch of the distilleries that we've been to and um, share with you some of the fun we had and uh, really kind of analyze each of the distilleries and what we got from the tours, um, not not necessarily from a like you know product point of view, but just kind of a philosophy point of view, I guess. Uh, before we begin our podcast, I thought we would give a shout out to the Studio Neat uh, group. They are sponsoring our Buzz mm-hmm. website, and in part of that, they gave us their uh, Neat clear ice kit uh which includes the ice mold an ice chisel a lewis bag and a muddler or as jamie likes to call it
0: the smasher the ice yeah, masher
1: the smasher it is a lot of fun um so they didn't ask for us to talk about their product on the podcast they just um haven't ad- bought an advertising spot on the website but um i really like this product i thought we mentioned it on the podcast as well it's um you know i have a long relationship with ice and Well, long. I mean, since I was born, I'm sure, but
0: super complicated relationship (laughs) with ice. I
1: do have a complicated relationship with ice, and I when I go to out, I like to get like clear ice in my in my. You should typically my old fashions and and other drinks. And I ask restaurants like, how do they do it? How do they get clear ice? And a lot of them have these gigantic freezers dedicated to making clear ice, and they they freeze giant blocks. And the idea is. if you have a big block of ice, all the impurities, the gravity will just push those heavy impurities down. And so the bottom of the block will be very like cloudy and everything else, but the top of the block will be clear. And so then they take that and then they chisel away at it and they break it apart. and they just use the top half. they give it well they probably just reuse the bottom, but they only use the top half for cocktails. And so the neat ice kit is basically the same thing. You get like kind of a mold, you pour water in it, and then the heavy impurities go to the bottom. And then you chisel away. And Jamie, it's a lot of fun, right? It's, it's a good time.
0: It's a lot of fun. It's also really great for um, making mint juleps because you've got, like, the two-in-one ice smasher and muddler. And you can just, like – like inter- the Lewis bag is awesome um, because it's uh, – you just, like, put the entire giant cube of ice in there and just, like, smash the hell out of it. And then you have that, like, really awesome, like, shaved ice. And then you can just go, like, right ahead and put your mint in there and, like, do all that good stuff. But it's, like, one-stop shop for ice. I really like it. I'm a big fan. And I like ice in my whiskey. So it's really – it's very exciting for me to hear that you're excited about ice, Mark.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. It's it's great. I'm enjoying it. Um, and uh, really a big shout-out to them for supporting our website uh, with, you know, very little expectations. They're just kind of like, can you help us out? They're like, sure. And it worked out really well. And I appreciate their uh, sponsorship for the month of September. So kid. We, uh, we went to Kentucky, the three of us, plus additional friends. We basically crashed the Beam Centauri Airbnb, I guess is the best way to put it.
0: Kind of Haunted. Haunted yeah. Airbnb.
1: Ha- haunted Airbnb. We, uh, we just kind of arrived there, grabbed some bedrooms. Uh, we did all right.
0: So I get to talk about Wild Turkey yet? I'm pretty excited.
1: Uh, why don't you start us there? Why don't you bring us into Wild Turkey and how we entered and saw Jimmy and Eddie? Let's
2: well, do that. But first, Jamie, what are you drinking?
0: Oh yeah, I'm, uh, I've actually got two side by side today because it's Friday. Um, so I've actually done the makers 46 and the 46 cast rank next to each other. Um, just to see what they, uh, how they do. Um, I haven't taken a sip yet, but I did this um, I did this comparison a couple days ago. and what I seem to recall is the 46, the regular 46 being a lot spicier. Then the cast strength, and the cast strength one being a lot sort of, like, sweeter and more vanilla and caramel. Uh, uh, the, and yeah, I was kind of surprised. I, you always think, like, a cast strength is going to be sort of bolder with that, that alcohol, um, but I don't find that to be it, the I case f- with this one.
2: I found that cast strength to be very sweet on the front. It's
0: it's sweet, right? Yeah. Very sweet. Yeah. So, well, I mean, okay. So, with the proof on, it is one hundred and eight point nine proof, and this one, where is the what proof is this? Oh my god! It's like forty-seven. Yeah,
1: point 47, something. Yeah, forty-seven yeah. percent.
0: Yeah. So. Uh,
1: so you're saying the forty-six is better than the cast strength, is what you're saying?
0: Um, they're just. Uh, e- yeah, I'm going to have to, okay, give me two seconds and I'm going to tell you which one I like best. Cause I've, okay. d- the last time I did this, I was like, okay, I like the cast strength and I don't know if that's me just like willing it into being because I really want to like everything cast strength better because I'm a bit obsessed with barrelproof proof stuff, but I don't know if that's fair.
1: Well, I, I think we'll we'll talk a lot more about Maker's Mark mm-hmm. a little later on too, because um, I think we that was one of the more interesting tours we did. Uh, we learned I, I learned so much about the distillery and how they work. Um, I, yeah, we'll we'll chat about that for a little bit because I think the the cast strength isn't really a whiskey for cast strength drinkers. Right. It's not. Overpowering. Right. It's not like all the stuff that you know. When Glenn and I were you know recording podcasts, we're like, yes, we want more cast strength stuff yeah. from Maker's Mark. It seems like they can never make us happy. Um, <laughs> and so the cast strength one isn't as kank, uh, as cast strengthy as we yeah. as I would like. Um, but on the other hand, I think it's probably an excellent introduction to cast strength whiskey for the Maker's Mark clientele, like for for uh, for drinkers uh, that for people. It's a good cast strength example for people that do drink makers mark um this was just released the week we were there um it was you know we we bought them in small 375 milliliter bottles um it's, it doesn't even have a label on it it's just like you know i
0: kind of love looks that like, I kinda, yeah i kind of love serials. it yeah
1: <laughs> basically somebody hand wrote the label and they photocopied it and pasted it on bottles it feels like you
0: got something right out of the lab which is kind of is kind of like appealing to me it feels like something they you know they really did just take out of the barrel and just throw it in a bottle and slap a crap label on it. I kind of love that. Um, oh, yeah. It makes you feel like you got something really special. Um, I, I, You know what? I really like the cast strength. It, as a regular, <laughs> regular sipping bourbon, I I don't, in the category of cast strengths. it doesn't really, like, register. But... I don't mind the sweetness of it. I don't find it to be cloying, but I find it to to have a lot of vanilla. It's, I it's it's lovely,
2: yeah. You, you pick up any bitterness on that finish?
0: Hmm.
2: So my perspective on the cast mm-hmm. rank here is that uh, really it was put together for the sole reason of of silencing everyone on the internet who's like, no, you got to make a cast rank, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that it's it's evidence that it's like we can do this, but it's really it's okay. It's not great. The forty seven or the forty six is rather is probably better. Uh, I thought watering it down sort of balanced out the finish a little bit.
0: Interesting. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. There is the a bit of a bitterness a bit. on that back end. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And that's funny because that's exactly what we said, at least what I said about the regular Maker's Mark. Cast strength. I'm like, I like it, but a little bit more water. So I I think what we're saying is Maker's Mark regular and 46 is like the best expression of Maker's Mark in those two categories of either going for something uh, like the 46, which is spicier and oakier or or less so. Um, But then as we play around with the proof levels, yeah, no, I I, I kind of agree. Um, I'm glad I bought the 46 cast strength. I'm super happy to have it and glad to sip it. Um, But yeah, mm, I don't know.
0: What are you drinking, Mark?
1: Um, I've got um, Elmer Tilly. Uh, ah. Yeah, I, it's so hard to get. We we kind of we, we This is going to be like how we complain all the time, where we're like, oh, we thought we could always get Elmer Teeley in Ontario, and it just hasn't come back since like 2013. Um, but Glenn and I got a got a tip that it was um, it was around L- about a half an hour away from where we were, where I Jim Beam at the time, and we literally just got in the car. Um, I, I called uh, up the store and you know, a lady answers, I'm like, yeah, I hear you've got three bottles of Elmer T. Lee, and she's like, oh, we just got two now, and oh, well, actually, first of all, sorry, we call the store and we, I go to her, I'm like, oh, I hear you have, you know, three bottles of Elmer T. Lee, and she, start, she calls across the store, she's like, hey, Harry, do we have Elmer T. Lee left? And I'm like, no, like, we're sh- half an hour away. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then she's like, and then she gets, gets an answer back, and she's like, no, we just got two. And I'm like, well, we're half an hour away. Can you just kind of put them aside? And her response to me in perfect Kentucky charm was like, I'll put it down for a minute, which was a very polite way of saying, I'm putting it down for a minute. Um, Hurry up. You should hurry. Don't don't take 45 minutes. Um, I love that about Kentucky. It's it's so polite and perfect.
0: So polite. Uh, So perfect.
1: So we drove down, we got I got two bottles, uh, Matt Jones got the second one, uh, who uh, hosted us all, all uh, week, um, and, well, we basically crashed at his Airbnb, um, and, um, and yeah, and so we, we drove, then we, we were late for stuff, and had to drive an hour, an hour, hour and a half to other things. It was great. It was worth it. It was completely worth it.
0: Oh, yeah. It's to- Elmer Chilly is totally worth it. Oh, man. I can't wait to come over and drink that. Pretty excited.
1: Ah, yeah. No, this is great, uh, Glenn. For Jameson, are you doing billable hours or are you drinking?
2: I'm certainly not doing billable hours, but I'm also not drinking. So you've got me in the interstitial period between you and I driving silly cars around Toronto as you're test driving new vehicles, uh, and I'm heading to a Hindu wedding this evening. So, so yeah, I'm dry, but definitely at my desk. But uh, yeah. There you go. That's where I'm at. I've had some adrenaline this morning. I'll have some adrenaline tonight. Um, so we thought we'd do like a bit of a review, look at all the distilleries
1: we've visited and talk about the differences in the way they make whiskey. Because, you know, whiskey has pretty straight- straightforward steps on how, how it's made. Um, you know, everybody does it the same way and everybody seems to do everything in between completely differently. And it's a very interesting look at how their philosophies are different and how they make whiskeys different and how that affects their product. So I thought, uh, Jamie, do you want to take us through uh, Wild Turkey? Because I know I know you love Wild Turkey. Let's. Uh... <laughs>
0: wild Turkey is my favorite. Yeah. Um, yeah. So basically, we showed up to Wild Turkey on like our first day and um, walked in, and this happened to me the last time. The last time I went to Wild Turkey, Jimmy Russell is just sitting there uh, in the like atrium of the uh, visitor center. And when we walked in, Eddie was standing right there. So we sort of went over and said hi. And then I was like, okay, I'd like to go over and say hi to Jimmy. And I got a picture with him. Um, But apparently around that time every day, he goes and hangs out there, um, which is cool. So if you're you're ever sort of hanging around Wild Turkey around 4-ish, 4.30... Uh, There you go. There's your hot tip. Uh, You can probably find Jimmy Russell there. Get a bottle signed or whatever, which is very cool. Um, I love that distillery. I love everything about it. I think it's a cool spot because uh, it's relatively new, uh, the visitor center and everything. Um, uh, And it's unapologetically um, industrial and sort of um, it doesn't do that down home thing that the rest of the, um, distilleries have, they, they don't have these sort of, you know, little houses and stone sort of where, like everything that sort of looks like, you know, you sort of fell back in time. Uh, it looks like a industrial complex. And, uh, I think we got some footage of it too, uh, that we'll be able to post up somewhere. Um. And you, you can sort of see how industrial it really is, um, which I sort of love. But at the same time, it's like a father and son that are still at the helm, which is sort of awesome. Uh, Jimmy Russell has been doing this for ever. Um, and Eddie was, uh, I think it was this year that he was promoted to co-master distiller, right? It was this year.
2: Right, right, It was
0: 2015, not 2014. So, yeah. So, it's 2015. uh, So, they're sort of, like, working together, um, which is hilarious because we did a tasting with Eddie. And, um, you know, he sort of makes a lot of references to, like, well, Jimmy doesn't like to do things like that. And Jimmy always does this. And Jimmy's not a fan of, you know, bourbons over, you know, X amount of years or whatever. So, he took us through um, the Masters Keep and the uh, single barrel rye which was it was so cool to do a tasting with him it was, like i couldn't have been happier really there's a picture of me that somebody took where i'm just like googly eyed sitting next to Eddie Russell like looking like i'm ready to like just give him a big hug
1: you know it's it's fun listening to Eddie cuz he he talks about how much his his dad how hard he made it on him how you know uh, he had to work at every stage of the whiskey making process he had to you know he um, he had to fix things that went wrong um, he didn 't get an easy pass whatsoever um, and so he really knows that distillery inside out and um, but eddie 's also you know when I look at wild turkey um, if you you know, Jimmy just he I think he's decided that he's just made the perfect whiskey right off the bat and he's not really so much into experimentation and moving into new directions. And it's really Eddie that pushed for the wild turkey rye, which is a really great rye. Um and then we we tasted the Russell's um single barrel rye and it's so good. It's so it, it was the rye notes on it are are incredible. And, uh, you know, you listen to Eddie talk and it's like he's had it so tough. And then he talks about how, you know, with his son, uh, Jimmy's so much easier with his grandchildren, right? He's uh, with his grandchild. He's just like, yeah, here's the recipe. Here's all the secrets. Don't worry. Go crazy.
0: One of them's a ambassador, like, you know, but it's, it's awesome. Um, he, so I was just so Jimmy's been doing this for 60 years um, and. He's sort of of that generation, the Almartiles and the, um, the Parker Beams and the uh, Booker knows that it, he's the last one sort of left. Um, and he's just very, um, he knows his stuff and he sort of sounds like he's kind of uncompromising, which I kind of love. About that, like I love that because there's a there's a reason why that sort of crew was regarded as you know um the basically like the the major players in bourbon for the last little while, and they make good juice so and he does too, and he knows he's got a good thing going, but it's nice to hear that Eddie's getting <laughs> something out of it too the seventeen year old master's keep, which is. another like it's it's a great it's a great one but it's it's not wild turkey the the wild turkey that you know jimmy would have allowed but it's it's nice to see that they sort of figured out how that was going to happen because that's eddie's like baby and he's very proud of it um and you can tell when he talks about it he loves it
1: yeah and eddie you know it's you know, the rye uh, it's a big part. The Russell's Reserve branding is an excellent uh, example of things that Eddie has pushed for um, at Wild Turkey. So, I, yeah, it's funny. I mean, when I go to Wild Turkey, I'm just like, yeah, they, they, got, a, they got pretty perfect whiskey right off the bat. Then they didn't really need to experiment very much. And they're kind of experimenting a little bit in, like, small steps. But they're not looking to extend the brand too far beyond its means. Uh, but the Russell's Reserve brand does such a great job at... At their premium whiskey and it's you know it's relatively available you talk about bourbon shortages and high-end uh bourbon that's not as available um you can you can get russell's reserve this is not selling out as rapidly they've got enough of it for demand um and yeah i mean we usually bring it back whenever we we come back from the states it's it's one that i always uh, always pick up on the way home
0: i regret not bringing back a rare breed I can't even believe we can't get Rare Breed here. We sh- It should literally be the next one that Ontario gets. If I, I haven't seen... like, We don't even get 101 here. So right. b- it's, it's beyond frustrating for me to get one wild turkey product here. And yeah, next time I go... Because that Rare Breed is just like, hang your hat on it in terms of uh, great barrel-proof whiskey. I love it so much.
2: Yeah, agreed, agreed. Yeah. I am really... Well, the last two trips that I've gone on, I've brought back some Russell's Reserve Single Barrel on the almost exclusive basis that it is the the best way to introduce a Scotch drinker to bourbon. I think, mm. um, yeah. But uh, the Wild Turkey trip was very interesting, uh, and the idea of Jimmy sort of being the one of the last of his kind is is prescient, particularly because uh, Jim Rutledge is retiring. But I like to yeah. think of of Jimmy as essentially. It's like Ron Swanson is running a distillery. It's like a guy who just shows up and says queer <laughs> alcohols are for rich women on diets.
0: <laughs> That's it.
2: Rye is a fad, son. Like,
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's true. It's true. I would love to hear the two of them behind closed doors. To be honest, well, I think it's it probably pretty
2: one way. It's it's Eddie's apologetic and Jimmy sits there in disappointed silence. <laughs> <laughs> like any good
0: father right uh,
2: right right totally that's that's the way he was yeah awesome. yeah
0: it's so good so I sort of geeked out a bit at wild turkey even though you know we didn't get to do a distillery tour I've done I've done the tour there before uh, the turkey trolley is not actually a giant turkey on wheels unfortunately but you know one can hope Next they, they do have
1: the worst trolley of all the distilleries visited. It's, it, it's, it's you know, it's a,
0: bus with it's a bus. It's a bus that says "Wild Turkey" on it. But like that, there's nothing wrong with that. I just wish it was a giant turkey with like feathers and stuff. I think that'd yeah, be a riot. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to yeah. give it such an awesome name like the Turkey Trolley, like you got to deliver.
1: Right, exactly. Oh, man. Yeah, no, we that was the one place we, we had a drone with us to to take some overhead videos. And that was the one place we're like, uh, so we can do this. And Eddie's like, ah, nobody, everybody leaves after five. It's already past five. <laughs> I won't tell.
0: You're like, like, okay. That's sort of permission. So, <laughs> <laughs>
2: What I liked is that while we were flying the drone, like at Wild Turkey, I don't believe there are any wild turkeys to speak of. But there are definitely a lot of wild turkey vultures who were f- incredibly excited about the drone in that Apparently. I believe oh, yeah. they thought it was a sick or dying <laughs> bird and they were just <laughs> waiting for it to fall out of the sky. Because when that thing went up into the air, there were maybe like two or three turkey vultures just sort of flying in over the, the valley that wild turkey is at. And after about 10 minutes of flying, there were about 15 of those things just slowly floating over the drone waiting for it to die very disappointed wild turkey vultures
1: but yeah no that was that was a lot of fun um, and a great experience really regret not bringing home that rye unfortunately they weren't selling it at the gift shop and we couldn't find it anywhere else um, as we were buying whiskey Uh, Glenn and I will commiserate about how much whiskey we bought later on
0: (laughs) Uh,
1: but really I would say wild turkey is the exact opposite of Buffalo Trace would you guys agree
0: yeah does very very differently yeah like the look of it is very different and yeah yeah yeah, I mean Buffalo and, Trace
1: is also a big enterprise, right? They also have like, you know, like it does. It looks like a factory. They don't. They don't really romanticize the um, the whiskey making process too much. Um, but they also have so many products coming out at distillery.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas Wild Turkey's got that sort of like uh, those couple line extensions, but Buffalo Trace is churning out many different brands um, and line extensions from those brands. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, we had the uh, uh, Master Blender Drew on the podcast last week. And really, he he honestly is on the search for the perfect whiskey and um, it's the, that's a different mindset, right? Jimmy's like, I hey, got it right the first time. Well, I'm sure it wasn't the first time, but you know, I got it right now. Um, you know, forget about this ride. Just, just keep making what we're doing. Keep making wild turkey 101, and we're fine. And then you got uh Buffalo trace that is constantly, they've got thousands of experiments going on. Um, one of the, um, it was briefly mentioned on the podcast, but one of the weirdest uh, experiments they do is they do like coarse grain versus fine grain, um, uh, weeded whiskeys. Um, and they basically look at the grain coarseness and the fineness and how that affects the aging process. Um, but they do, you know, hundreds and hundreds of these experiments that take five, 10, sometimes 20 years to, to mature, to fully understand, um, as as they, as they mature, as the whiskey matures in barrels. Um, and you talk about brand extensions that are responsible for, you know, Pappy Van Winkle and Buffalo Trace Antique Collection and, uh, you know, Buffalo Trace regular and Eagle rare. I mean, you can go on and on and on about how many different products they have. Um, and I think Drew um, said it last week, where he said they're building brands. Um, they their goal is to build brands and you know put great whiskey behind those brands, um, which is the exact opposite of Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey's like we got it, we we've done it. This is great. We don't really need to build brands. They were they're kind of reluctantly doing Russell's Reserve and Rise, but uh, but yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting difference there uh completely different philosophies
0: yeah Wild well, wild turkey's very established in terms of every everybody's heard of wild turkey you know and a, even if you're not a whiskey drinker, you know wild turkey like it's sort of it's one of those uh brands that sort of has entered into pop culture a little bit and sort mm-hmm. of is 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 familiar enough that even a non-whiskey drinker would recognize the bottle or, you know, sort of know what it is. Whereas, you know, if you're not a whiskey drinker, you you might not have ever heard of, you know, Taylor or Blanton's. Well, if you watch um, Justified, you might. But uh, it's not exactly as, you know, the Reach isn't as great with the Buffalo Trace brands, but they're certainly within the whiskey community, like, pretty powerful
1: and they you know when we talk about warehousing and storing whiskey they they have all sorts of different warehouses they store whiskeys in you know many different ways um you know they have the climate control the non-climate most of them are non-climate control but they have you know they, they experiment a lot within that so they're going to get a lot of variation so where wild turkey is trying to you know really focus on getting the same sort of whiskey day in and day out just like four roses they're very focused on the getting the same sort of whiskey through um buffalo trace is very much appreciates that variation they they cheer on that variation they want to have your stags and your stag juniors and uh your bland single barrels they want to have this great variety of flavor and they achieve that by having um you know by focusing on these giant on these large rickhouses that have you know different maturation uh different maturation depending if it's higher or lower in the warehouse so kind of you know they really celebrate i guess buffalo trace celebrates that uh diversity within the barrels whereas places like maker's mark and four roses and probably wild turkey uh, are more keen on having that same drink you know every single time
2: i think that buffalo trace sits well apart from from the other major distillers that we visited uh, it really does seem to embrace uh, variables on which they have little control. So with Makers, I think Makers and and Wild Turkey, you can put in a similar basket in that they've got a product that they really believe in, and they'll do some slight variations thereof, but really they're set up to do one thing. And even in the uh, one-offs or the small product sets that Wild Turkey has done, a lot of them have been by accident. So... Forgiven, for example, uh, it was not an intended product line. it was in a line where they had made an error in uh, in aging some barrels and master's keep also is is like them having to to move barrels into a different warehouse space and that resulted in a different aging process and something that didn't fit into their normal uh product uh, sort of uh, taste profile um, makers fits into that and Beam really sort of does like really something similar. I mean, they've got like an incredible like it's the world's third largest distiller, Beam Suntory, and their bourbon uh, their bourbon set is 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 quite varied. But really, each barrel goes into into the rickhouses with with a real intent behind what it's going to become. Buffalo Trace. I'm not sure if that's the case. Like, I think that they. They have a really clear idea of whether something's going in to be to be high rye or or real corn-heavy bourbon or or weeded. But beyond but beyond that, I'm not sure if if they're really convinced that a certain bottle is going to be a, a special reserve sort of base level Buffalo Trace bottle, or if it's going to be uh a pappy like i don't think that they know and so so that variance means that they create different product lines that that wouldn't exist elsewhere like this this whole uh aspect of opening themselves up to mother nature i think is is interesting and in, through their warehousing and aging process
1: yeah you you get the impression that buffalo trace um is certainly a well-intentioned company i mean they they're you know planning sazerac 18s for the next 20 years right they're, they are intentioned in that way but it's you get the impression that a lot of the innovation that they've have in flavor profile has happened through a lot of tasting and i don't know i don't want to say accidental steps but just like a lot of variation and experimentation and kind of understanding what works and what what doesn't work uh which is why they have such a much such a broad i mean they're also a big distillery they also do a lot of you know um i mean you know buffalo trace pays a lot of the whiskey bills, but they also have, you know, flavor vodkas and other things. So they, they have a lot of that. Whereas in wild Turkey, you're just making bourbon, um, you know, maker's mark, you're just making bourbon. Uh, you know, so there's, there's that aspect of it as well, but it's
2: intention though. So at maker's mark, they rotate all the barrels so that they've all had essentially an equivalent point in time in most parts of a warehouse. Uh, for roses, they've got uh, a very consistent sort of almost climate controlled barreling system. To to control from other nature and at uh, at Wild Turkey, they're positioned on a place that sort of moderates a lot of the temperatures that you would experience uh, in a summer in Kentucky and in a winter in Kentucky. They've got a moving body of water uh, in a valley, and then that sort of moderates how how barrels experience time. When uh, Wild Turkey, sorry, in Buffalo Trace, like they're they're in this little like like dimple of of a town of Fredericton, right? Like they're in this little almost valley uh that probably gets hot as stink in the summertime and and gets real cold uh in the wintertime and the rick houses are real tall. And I think that that their variable is is weather and I think they can't control for it. So they're surprised at what they get, but it's it's by design, like they're supposed to be Whereas other companies, uh, they're playing with age or they're playing with yeast strain or that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, Four Roses, I think their secret uh, – Four Roses, their secret is having very small warehouses, one-floor one, one floor, uh, Rick houses, That way, they're not seeing as much variation between the floors. Um, any other comments on Buffalo Trace before we move on to Maker's Mark?
0: I mean, Freddie. Like, can we even say enough about oh, Freddie? Yeah. Like, the, you know the the experience that he sort of gives is 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 quite something else. And and uh, yeah, I uh, I was so happy to have that that time with him. And he's third generation uh, uh, who has worked there, and he's uh, you know he's basically the face, which. He was a riot. He was like a total riot. It was a great, it was a great time, and I think we've got some fun photos of him that we'll put up soon. But
1: yeah, we do, we've got some video. Um, yeah, Freddie is so well known that if you um, if you do a tour with Freddie. Um, you know, people. Everybody just knows. I think uh, Matt Jones uh, uh, was with us, and he he says he goes on tour with Freddie once a year. This is just a thing he does, and he learns something new every year. Um, so, if you do go to Buffalo Trace and you do want to do a tour, um, see if you can get one with Freddie. Um, you you won't regret it. It'll be a great experience.
0: Yeah, for sure. Shout out to Freddie.
1: Yeah. So, Maker's Mark. Um, I learned a lot about Maker's Mark. I think we've been we've been kind of tough sometimes about Maker's Mark on no. the show. <sighs> And I, I feel, I don't know, Glenn, do you want to put this best? Because I feel you will put this best. How do you feel about Maker's Mark?
2: Uh, I have an odd respect for Maker's Mark now that I've spent some time there working with, uh, working with their people and really sort of experiencing uh, their paradigm when it comes to making whiskey. I don't like Maker's Mark and I don't really like tasting Maker's 46, although I think it's a fine drinking whiskey. And so historically, I have been difficult with them, uh, and I under- And there is also the, like this, like going back a couple of years now, this very public discussion they had about lowering the proof levels to, to makers as opposed to raising prices, uh, which, which is shocking that that was aired in public in the way that it was and that the board fell uh, on that issue in the way that they did in public opinion. Uh, shifted them back onto where they should be and maintaining the proof and the recipe and and, uh, just raising the price. Uh, But, yeah, for a long time, I've just had a really, really not positive sort of view of of makers. When you go and visit makers, a few things become apparent. One, uh, it's probably the most beautiful of all of the distilleries that you can go to or at least that i've been to like it's really an extraordinary uh, extraordinary place uh the people are excellent but the the craziest thing is they are set up to do one thing they're set up there to make maker's mark and that's it uh they're not set up to to offer quirky 22 year old single barrel bourbons that only have like 80 bottles in them they're not there to sort of pop out, rise, or to drop new labels. It's not what they do. They do one thing, and they do it very consistently. And we toured their labs there. Uh, and, and it was fascinating talking to them because that's, that's what they do, either through tasting or through, through chemical analysis. Like, they are, uh, they are bought in to making one, one thing like like any innovation that they come up with will be to enable them to better produce one thing.
1: Yeah. I, and I think the, the, it's interesting for me, the, the big learning experience was, um, you know, a lot of distilleries, Buffalo trace, we talked about it. They put whiskey into barrels. They have an idea of how long they're going to likely age those barrels. And they, you know, they have a lot of that figured out, but there's a little bit of experimentation. They, they celebrate the flaws in whiskey. Um, maker's mark there is no celebrating of flaws they um the moment that whiskey goes in there it's validated and verified that it's it's what they wanted to do so then when they uh put it put that barrel in the warehouse they know exactly what they're going to get in that five to seven year time frame and they do rotate the barrels from top to bottom which is interesting they're only one distillery that does that it's also interesting because um i don't feel like other distilleries like you always kind of hear like well you know maker's mark does this but it doesn't seem to be as well respected in the industry, but really what they're going for is consistent flavor. They, um, they, a barrel will spend no more than three years on top. Then they move it to the bottom. They move the bottom to the top and that way they're getting a consistent aging. Um, when it's ready is somewhere between five to seven years and essentially just depends on weather and, and that maturation process. So when is it going to be considered maker's mark? So that quality assurance happens right at the beginning Right after fermentation and distillation, like right through those processes, they make sure they get that right, so that they know what they're going to get afterwards. And then, when it's ready, really just depends on environmental factors. Like you know, if it's been really, really warm during the first three years, that barrels on the top, it's probably going to be ready sooner than if it's they've had three cold winters and it hasn't really matured as quickly on on top. Um, and, and I even asked like, because they've built new warehouses, and I'm like, well, are, these, are you guys rotating those as well? And they're like, absolutely. Every single barrel gets rotated from the top to the bottom, and the middle just stays the same. So that was interesting. And then the other interesting part was it explains Maker's Mark 46 because they have this system that they've perfected. And how do you take this system and within it create a different product? You can't i mean you I mean you can if you build a new warehouse and have a different system in place, but within the system uh makers mark forty six what they do is they put um these um uh staves inside the barrel that add all that spice and more complex flavors to to it and when they do that, they do it within the system, so you know at some point they take those barrels off, put in the staves. Put the grills back in, let them mature for a while longer, and then pour them out. Only during all... the winter,
0: too, right? Like every, it's yes. they only do it during the winter. It's so everything is so just like, it's just like it's highly, highly right. Like the system is very highly regulated. Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly. So when you know when Glenn and I were kind of chatting about this um, early on, in I like, guess was episode three or four, I can't remember, but. We're like, you know, they should release a twelve-year-old, and they should release a cast strength, and they should do this and that, and they, you know what? And honestly, they have been. I mean, they've 100%. They released Maker's Mark cast strength, 46 cast strength, um, but in reality, um, their whiskey is not the way they do whiskey is not set up for older whiskeys. In fact, my my interesting thing was they during the tour they do the kind of traditional tasting, and they gave you, you know, f- five glasses of whiskey. One of them, oh, sorry. One of them was an underproof maker's mark, underaged maker's mark. The other one was maker's mark regular, and the third one was ten-year-old maker's mark. And they're like, "See, this is overaged for us. This is not what we like." And the person making the talking to us was like, "Some people prefer that, but the balance is not what we like. We like that middle uh, balance." So, really fascinating and eye-opening. Yeah. Um,
2: like from top to bottom, too, I mean, we spent a great deal of time with Greg Davis, who's the master distiller there, and he comes from a beer background way back, and like something that the brewers focus on is consistency from batch to batch because their batches are so much smaller, and, and there isn't this idea of casking or of aging, typically, uh, and so even that, like that hiring process, is informed by, by this desire to have a very consistent product.
0: Yeah. yeah. And it extends right into, like, they've just put in their third still and they've got a new roller mill and they've got, I think the only thing that they sort of, in, that they haven't replicated is their um, fermentation vats because the the cypress ones are getting a little worse for the wear. But um, everything else, even the inefficient sort of roller mill that they use to crush the grain, um, they're just, they're duplicating it because they want that consistency so regardless of how efficient or inefficient the process is it's going to stay the same in order to to get that end product so it that's like the word that sticks out in my head is like consistency yeah yeah
1: the the fact that they use the uh, yeast jug as well they they you know which a few distilleries do i mean most distilleries have a powdered yeast and just pour it in um, and during uh, and during fermentation, but they they go through the process of like cultivating the yeast and feeding the yeast and and um, and really go through those steps like they used to do in the old days. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty amazing traditional way. I think uh, what was it, Matt said that it's like it's the most inefficient large distillery. Yes. It's the smallest of the large distilleries, and it's also the most inefficient of the yes. distilleries mm-hmm. of that size. Um, they just do everything the most inefficient way possible. Um, with that core belief that it brings them the consistency that they're looking that they, they're getting
0: yeah I think in uh, Reed's book in uh, Bourbon Empire he refers to bourbon in general as gloriously inefficient and I think that <laughs> Maker's Mark really sort of encompasses that on the like next level because I mean bourbon is very inefficient I mean you can do what all your stuff you can churn out white dog for you know every single day just gallons and gallons of it but that, there it goes to sit and wait. So, um, but yeah, I love that. Gloriously inefficient. It's so romantic. That's great. Yeah.
1: Well, (laughs) speaking of, speaking of white dog, that, that whiskey off the still was friggin' incredible. I, well, they, they talk about, you know, Maker's Mark and, you know, the founder, the family really, they do not like any sort of bitter flavor. So the whole goal of Maker's Mark um, from the very beginning is to remove the bitterness. Um, That distillate is amazing. It Mm. is fantastic. I would, gladly sip that I had um you know it was really delicious i you know we we, we do sip a lot of uh distillant um here at distilleries and uh, that was by far for me it was the best one that was the most most memorable one
0: uh that we've had it was good I enjoyed yeah. it yeah yeah I agree concur
1: so uh, I'm definitely not as down on Maker's Mark. I I <laughs> like uh, Maker's Mark 46. I've I've always you know I think I've gone through four bottles this last summer of Maker's Mark 46. <laughs> so I definitely am a, cus- a consumer and purchaser of Maker's Mark 46. Um, I am not as I'm not a big fan of Maker's Mark regular. I think it's it's a little too older school. It's a little too uh, flavor wise. is not as it's not what. You know, the kind of where where Whiskey is going right now, but I think 46 is on a path
2: there. And if you're touring Kentucky, go. Like, it's far away from Louisville, but you really need to go. I mean, Mark and I, we attended with with other people that were on the trip, uh, a fundraiser for Apron, Inc., which is designed to help people in the restaurant community that are having hard times. So... Uh, food and beverage service workers, and they they lit up the distillery at night and had various cocktail and dining stations, and it was spectacular. Like it was truly a beautiful so and scenic that. place to oh. to spend some time. So do go. Yeah, yeah, and, and you can always get all the
1: products that are like cast strength, or you can get um, White Dog at at, um, at at the gift shop there, and they also make that great purchasing experience where you can dip your own bottle. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's. Ugh, 100%. Just just do it. That, that's a great one.
0: Mhm. I agree.
2: Just don't well, bottle slam things when you're yeah. using the the wax. That's No, it won't work. They won't let you. But, <laughs> but in case you
1: do. Oh. oh.
0: That's great. Where else did we go, yeah. you guys?
1: Well, we um Well, why don't we uh, why don't we talk about well, why don't we go to uh, – let's talk about – we'll go we'll talk about Jim Beam and then we'll talk about Willard. because talk about right. two extremes. Um, All right.
0: Well, I'm super jealous because I missed the Jim Beam tour, like beyond jealous. And as a gift for me, Mark and Glenford brought me back a bottle of Knob Creek. That We're was so inscribed. sweet. You're so – I know. You got, Wait a second. You guys actually, what was inscribed? You are – Okay, first of all, knowing how much, like, whiskey you guys brought across the border, I'm shocked that you brought something back from me. Like, that already was very sweet. But then the inscription um, was, like, just, like, slightly needling. But I'll forgive it because you brought me back a bottle from Kentucky that's inscribed. And even if it's sort of trolling, it's kind of hilarious. So the inscription is... You did not drink whiskey from the barrel on this day, September seventeenth, twenty fifteen, and it's sitting very proudly on my whiskey cabinet right now. And I don't know what I'm going to open. I'm never going to throw that bottle away, you guys, because I was devastated to miss that. Devastated.
1: Yeah, it was. You know, if you do the um, if you do the vi, I think if you do the VIP tour, I, you know what I. I don't like talking too much about our tour experience because always when you do media and you're not, it's you you you'll, you know your experiences will vary. Um, but I'm pretty sure if you do the VIP tour, which is not cheap, um, but they will maybe I don't know I don't want to commit for them. But I think you get a taste of whiskey from the barrel, um, which is kind of like there's like a barrel there, and they just like pour it out and you get it. And so last time we were there, we had like nine year old Knob Creek, uh, you know, at cast strength. You get a barrel And this time around We had a 12-year-old uh, Knob Creek Which they Apparently like they add You know to the batches They'll add uh, Older Knob Creeks To kind of You know to, to firm up the batch um, So it was It was really delicious It was like Drinking It was like drinking Like you know Like syrup Syrup In if That syrup was like Great whiskey Like concentration Of, of, of flavor um, And so yeah We Jamie missed it And so we Inscribed a bottle To basically troll her
0: Basically, to to just dig it in a little deeper. I appreciated you bringing it back, though. That was really nice. It was so thoughtful of you. Yeah. <laughs> well, and so Jim
1: Jim Beam is an interesting. Uh, so Jim Beam is an interesting example of a kind of a compromise between all that we've talked about. Um, they're definitely into experimentation. They're the first to release, um, you know, small batch uh, whiskey. Is As a branding, uh, you know, Booker's um, as as a small batch cast strength was, you know, a lot of these things Jim Beam was first at doing and moving that forward. Um, They're also less. They they also have their experiments, and you can get at the gift shop. You can buy their experimental whiskey, but they're very much like focused on the brands, and they know you know what proof level. each brand gets barreled in. How long that that, that will be uh, barreled for? Um, so you know, one of the things that they covered is a, you know a lot of the different uh, small batch series, whether it's uh, Booker's or Knob Creek or uh, Baker's. Um, it really a lot of it has to depend on the proof level the whiskey goes into the barrel and how long it's aged, and that that accounts for that difference in flavor. Um, beautiful distillery, uh, they have a lot of history there as well, um, and yeah, just. Like that's kind of when you think of a distillery, I'm thinking of Jim Beam. This is like multiple brands right. focused on that brand identity, just pushing forward whiskey and just making the best whiskey they can in those in those product sets.
0: Did you guys get to meet Fred?
1: No, no, we were uh, we were supposed to, but
0: I mean, well, he's we... a busy guy. I get it. It's...
1: Yeah, no, we, they were going to. They said we might meet Fred, and then we, we ended up not meeting him. So that was sad, but it's, okay. it's all right.
0: He was at the 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 sampler, but I didn't get to meet him either. I don't know. Oh, I know. He was super well. elusive. Anyways, um, I haven't been to Jim Beam since they opened the new American Stillhouse. So. Um, Now I know you guys went on that the VIP tour um, or whatever we got what whatever special thing got happened to you guys that I don't even care about because I wasn't even there. Um, Just kidding, I'm really happy for you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I recall the first time I went to Jim Beam, I was like, you know, just a regular. We it's actually the first distillery I ever visited many many years ago, and it kickstarted my love for whiskey. Um, And it was just sort of. one of those things, we were, me and my husband, Trent, were just, like, driving back from Florida, and we were like, oh, it'd be cool to go to distillery, and we just pulled off the road, and we did a little mini tour, but they didn't actually have a a proper tour anymore. It was just, like, you watched a movie, and, like, you did this uh, tasting, and it was, like, very short and sweet, Um, but it sounds like they sort of expanded, like, way beyond that now, so I'm i'm really curious to go back i'm kind of bummed that i missed the whole thing i
1: think that the best thing about the jim beam tour is that you get to actually taste all the whiskey that they make um you know you go to like um buffalo trace and you you basically you can buy eagle rare buffalo trace and uh buffalo trace cream um there at the end of the tour they give you a couple of cards and you can any any whiskey like any whiskey that's in in mass sale and in sales so you can taste like you know Small bits of, like, we can choose between 14 or 18 different types of whiskeys. Um, and, yeah, we heard that story how they used to have, you know, just thousands of people do this tour where they literally, like you said, Jamie, they you go into a house mm-hmm. and you kind of do a visual tour and then you do a tasting. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they're the, as I guess it was put to us, the unofficially the biggest tourist, uh, uh, biggest, uh, they do the most tours on the Buffalo, uh, on the... They do the most tours on the uh, Bourbon Trail. Um, and uh, yeah, they, they just have it down packed. Yeah. Um, it's great crowds. You um you get to experience everything and they I like that they focus on different you know, the, their entire lineup. So they'll talk about Jim Beam, they'll talk about Knob Creek, they have a little experimental it's not actually that little, but they have like a experimental fermentation distillation uh, line, a bottling line that they do just for the tour. Um Really nicely done. Um, you know, you you'll get a great experience there, and yeah, and that's the best part is you'll you'll actually you know like you actually get to taste a lot of different whiskeys at the end.
0: That's awesome. That's very cool.
1: Yeah, I guess. I guess the only thing is you can't actually taste a lot because there's, like, a restriction in the county. So you That's can get, to- like, two yeah. ounces. That's
0: totally, yeah. like, a thing, though. That's I mean, at Willett, it, it was the same thing. And we'll talk about Willett in just a moment. But it's the same sort of thing. It's, it's like, okay, you get this tasting and you get to taste this one. And then you get to choose your third or whatever. And it's, like, you know, 0. 0.25 of an ounce. And it's... But that's the thing about Kentucky, right? Like, Jack Daniels, um, when you do their distillery in Tennessee, like, they used to be a dry county. They couldn't even give you, like, they couldn't, I don't even think we got a tasting on their tour. I think they might still be in a dry county. I have to find that out. But that's the thing about when you go to the south, right? You never know when you're going to end up in a dry county. Once I was driving down to Florida and we ended up in a dry county and I thought Trent was going to cry because we had been driving for like 12 hours and we just wanted to have a beer with our barbecue. And they were like, sorry, it's Sunday. We can't serve you. And he was, he started laughing and I was like, I don't think they're kidding. And he was like, then he looked like he was going to burst into tears. And I was like, you're okay. You're okay. You're okay. We have some beer in the trunk. It'll be fine. You're good, uh, but yeah. So the that's the whole thing about going to, and and I think that's it works in terms of you know there's a lot of space between distilleries and most people are driving around, so it's not actually like you're going to get trash faced at any of the distilleries because you're not getting huge pours, like you're not getting huge samples. So um, you can be pretty comfortable driving from you know one distillery to another.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, um and we did miss out on the fourteen uh, year old. Um single barrel tasting. Glenn and I were chasing our El Mortile and the rest of our party um. to get to participate in that. So see, we missed out on stuff too. Uh.
0: <laughs> you're just trying yeah. to make me feel better.
1: I sh- shall we uh share the uh the Gary story? Yeah, we 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 learned um I think we learned a valuable lesson. Uh well we did learn a valuable lesson. When you're touring through um any distillery, just you know, don't have any expectations of anything, you know, beyond the tour, but definitely bring a flask with you because we had um, people that were with us, uh, friends of ours that were traveling with us, um, they got to go up to the seventh floor of one of the brick houses, and it was, um, and they were, they were test they were test, they were testing out some of the single barrel releases and they had one in particular that was 14 year old, um, matured whiskey. And so, uh, the person leading them through kind of let them have like a taste of it from a glass and. Everybody loved it. And then the guy's like, well, do you guys have a flask? I'll you know, pour you some. And one of our friends kind of stared at him like, no, we don't, but I can get something in the car. And so he runs down seven floors, goes all the way to the parking lot, looks into the car and finds two containers. One is a ball of water and the other one's a Gatorade bottle. Looks at them both, has no idea In his rush, He's just like, I want to get this whiskey. I don't know which one's going to be better. Grabs them both runs all the way back to the warehouse, goes all the way up the seven floors. You know, there's no elevators. You got to take the stairs. Runs all the way up to the very top and like just show, shows, um, you know, master distiller these two containers. He's like, I've got water in our Gatorade. I wasn't sure which one was better. And, and the guy kind of looks at him and is like, well, unless you want your whiskey tasting like Gatorade, you probably want to pick the water bottle. So we learned don't bring Gatorade and bring a flask. Just bring a flask. You can just avoid the whole running up and down. Bring yeah. a flask. You never know. You should you always know. have
0: a flask on you at all times anyways, I think. You never know when you're going to need it.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, the the, the you know the person offering them the pour was kind of disappointed. He's like, what do you mean you don't have a flask? Like, this is Kentucky. This, this Kentucky. is Kentucky. That's right. Where you're in a dry county. You would have to have a flask. Like, this is just how it is. Yeah.
0: Amazing. Pro tip. Pro tip. Pro tip. Always have a flask. I have a flask in my purse right now. It's empty, but it's there ready just if exactly, anyone just wants to offer me any like you know 14 year old knob creek on the streets of toronto i'm prepared
1: <gasps> oh man no jim beam wonderful um and then we um so later on the week we or i guess earlier in the week uh we went to will it uh, great now, spot
0: loved it there. yeah we love Willett. we've
1: praised oh yeah we've praised Willet at uh tons on this uh podcast um Small distillery they um, with a long history, they used to make their own whiskey, um, and then in the '70s and '80s when whiskey started not be as popular, they just started they just became a bottler. They, just, they bought barrels and they bottled barrels of whiskey, and now um, they're back to distilling their own. Um, great tour, small distillery, um, very quick tour.
0: beautiful spot, lovely mm-hmm. spot, um, really everything looked. Gorgeous! That still was spectacular. Um, yeah, uh, the best t-shirts on the trail, as far as I'm concerned. Although I do like Heaven Hill's t-shirts too. I really like buying t-shirts from uh, whiskey shops. Yeah. Well, they really were pretty
2: pretty amazing though. Like they were great yeah. great product in the gift shop.
0: Great product, yeah. and uh, great whiskeys in their gift shop. So we turned up on a release day. Weird. We had no idea. Um, and but it makes sense if you go for a bourbon festival, they sort of do plan releases around that time because they know there's gonna be a lot of people around um sort of chomping at the bit a little bit for some of these products and so it's not really a coincidence that there was a release at Willet the same day that we were there or that Makers forty six was released really um sort of around the same time that, you know, Bourbon Fest is going on. But it was hilarious. We were we were standing in the gift shop and we were talking to Um, their master distiller drew and all of a sudden it was like this rush of people just came in the door like everyone got the same email or read the same tweet or you know and then all of a sudden there was lineups everywhere and uh, they had just put out a bunch of their super interesting stuff their family reserve stuff and I got a bottle of nine-year which I haven't opened yet. But yeah. I think Glenford might have bought something too. But we're not allowed to talk about it yet. Are we? Are we allowed <laughs> to talk about it, Glenn?
2: Yeah, no. No, I Are you bought okay? it a nice bottle of whiskey. I'm really excited about it. I have not cracked it yet. And,
0: I'm uh, really excited for you.
2: I promised the yeah. queen, my firstborn, uh, to get it over the border. <laughs> that was something. <laughs> we're, we're standing
1: in line. We actually saw a friend of the show, Kentucky Spirit, there. He chatted with us for a little while. He's wicked. He's awesome, awesome, awesome. And knows his whiskey just 100%. And then um, Drew, you know, Drew's telling us, he's like, oh, yeah, everybody's here to buy the uh, 22-year-old weeded bourbon. And um, I'm like, oh, you know, my friends are looking to buy something. And he's like, oh, just get the 22. Like, are you sure? No, just get the 22. And um, so that just seemed like, yeah, you get the 22. And uh, we asked him, you know, why? And he's like, ah. It's twenty-two. It's a twenty-two-year-old weeded bourbon. You do the math. There like, you go. Okay, that's all you need to know. Um, so it wasn't um, affordable, but
2: <laughs> yeah, no regrets. When a master distiller tells you to buy something, yeah. particularly when you have a more expensive bottle in your hand ready to purchase, then oh. put that expensive bottle down and you pick up.
0: I one. didn't realize that. Hey, so he saved you some money, actually. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, we're just gonna go. Well, with
1: I that. mean. Yeah, and I mean so Drew Drew's interesting. Drew does whiskey the old fashioned way. He picks up barrel he picks barrels at a, one one at a time, which, you know, like Eddie Russell will do, Jimmy Russell, like a lot of a lot of people will do. Elmer T. Lee, what I'm drinking right now, same idea. They uh, you know, Elmer Teeley picks barrels and and sometimes they get blended together, sometimes get they get sold as single barrels. But uh Drew pretty much I think has the best job in the world. He has a warehouse filled with whiskey. And he gets to taste the whiskey and he's like, Yeah, this is gonna be Willet eight year, nine month single barrel, and this is gonna be Willet nine month nine year, three month single barrel. And that is the way he works through and I mean I just I think he's got the best job in the world, really.
0: Yeah, he totally does. And he loves it. And he's born into a family that makes whiskey, so he pretty much nailed it. I think he's kinda of winning at life. His Instagram do- is
2: balling. it's amazing.
0: I know. He's a fan I of know.
2: vintage watches.
0: I know. <laughs> I now, noticed we, that. He's awesome.
2: We should note though, if you do the
1: tour and you meet Terry, um Terry's just That's Terry. <laughs> Terry's Instagram is
0: amazing though. He's so smiley. And like,
1: are you kidding me? He smiled. I his sent his you. I account. think
0: I sent you the link to his Instagram. He's like totally oh. the most lovely looking man. He, maybe we just caught him on an off day. He just didn't like us because we were being obnoxious. We were like, "What's up, Terry? Hey, man!" And he's just like, "All right, that's enough. Stop." You're Hashtag Team I, Terry. Maybe no <sighs> Team Drew all the way. <sighs> <laughs>
2: Poor <day too. gasps>
0: I, you know, it was, it was such a crazy, awesome trip. I cannot say enough about how lucky I felt to be there and the, the events that we got to go to. I was really bummed to miss out that Makers um, fundraiser, uh, cause you guys said it, it was pretty awesome and the Jim Beam tour. But even in the sort of four days that I was there, I felt like at one point, uh, on my Facebook, my friends were like, "What happened like did you did you stumble into your version of heaven because we did- we did this incredible bourbon and bluegrass like musical whiskey tasting and history lesson, which I was like so amped about no like honestly, like no one could have caught me. I was so happy to be there. I was like front row, like front of the table, big crazy smile on my face because if there's anything I love, it is musical. Well, I love musicals, but bluegrass specifically and whiskey tasting all in once. Like it's like that concert was made just for me. It was great. Yeah,
1: that that featured uh, Bernie Lovers from uh, Whiskey Professor. He. Um, he basically told the story of whiskey, uh, through bluegrass with,
0: um, with, like with a, a band and with a tasting, like, come on. With a tasting. It was amazing. Oh, so it was so cool. I love that so much. Honestly, I was super, super excited to be there. Um, and then to do the all-star sampler, which is basically every master distiller behind their booth pouring, you know, their product, which is unbelievable. Like, totally yeah. unbelievable and super well organized um, and not, I, I don't remember who, we were talking about this earlier, but it wasn't oversold. You could just walk yeah. up to a table and get a pour of whatever you wanted and chit-chat with, oh, Jimmy Russell and, um, or Eddie, and I got my picture taken with all of them. Um, yeah, it was so much fun. It was so much fun. Glenn also had a really awesome strategy for eating food. He would just run into the middle of the line and grab food in his hand and then run away. <laughs> I that like to think it was a like little like more nuanced than that, but
2: yeah,
0: no. It, was, uh, it was mostly like what lineup, and then you grabbed a bunch of food and then walked away.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, and brought plates full of food. Um, yeah, no, that was wicked. great. And then we did. It was wicked. And then they, we did the um, the I don't even know what it was. I don't know that brought us somewhere and it was uh, this old restaurant and like it seemed like to be the official after party uh where we, we hung out with everybody Mark, and some more Mark. food.
2: We sat down and we had dinner with the master distiller at Maker's <laughs> Mark and his and lovely Heaven wife. Hill.
0: Yeah. <laughs> lovely <laughs> wife. Lovely wife. She was a delight.
2: In uh, yeah.
1: in Bardstown. It was great. Yeah. Oh, it was so great. So many great memories. And the master um,
0: distiller of Heaven Hill was there too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Craig Beam. He was wicked. I had a really good conversation with him. I have his business card now. I feel like kind of a hot shot.
1: <laughs> oh, I, I, I talked uh, about terroir, whiskey terroir. It was, it was uh, just a great evening.
2: Really, it's like Matt Jones was incredible. Like The trip that he put together, oh my gosh, like we worked amazing. our asses off down there. We were up every morning at like 6.30 pumping on the road uh but every time it was like this was a great thing that we should never miss so if you're traveling yeah. to kentucky uh there's lots to do but make sure you have a packed itinerary because it's so great
0: yeah it's so yeah. it's so great he was such a great host and uh he's got a lot of energy and he's just ready to go and uh yeah it was the best and you guys were lovely travel companions so we were. you guys were it was it was great it was so much fun
2: yeah, well thank you. Likewise. Likewise.
0: Thanks. Thanks so much. That's great. It's that great you guys. That's a winner it of a was. trip. Let's do it again.
1: Absolutely. Uh shout out to Eric as well who we met at the sampler on Wednesday. Um great great to meet, you know. Somebody else on the
0: podcast. I know, like, it was wow, awesome. we meet in person. So happy. Um
1: Oh, he's got the best wife too. She she just She's like lovely. brings him whiskey. Oh, I know. Yeah, that's that's amazing. That's amazing. Awesome um no so thank you guys so much uh jamie glenn thank you so much and we'll talk to you guys next week
0: it was not my finest couple of hours but i made it home
2: you made your flight you made your i flight. made
0: my flight both of them i remember the second one better